0: Welcome to the podcast, episode 10. Today on the podcast, we are honored to be joined by Victoria Felkar, and we're going to be talking all about the menstrual cycle. Victoria is an amazing educator and researcher working across a multitude of fields from kinesiology to sports medicine and the humanities. She is currently working on her doctorate on women's health and female hormone manipulation within sport medicine. Victoria, we love on your website how you call yourself explorer, renegade, advocate, and that you enjoy meditating with your dog in your spare time.
1: <laughs> we I know sure you. Do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we know you've been on so many podcasts and you've lectured around the world that we're we're truly grateful that you are joining us today. Oh, Welcome. Uh,
2: I, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here, and uh, thank you for that lovely introduction. It's. Uh, it's always kind of weird to hear all the stuff that I've done because when you're in the trenches, it's just day in and day out. I'm looking at books and writing papers, so I uh, appreciate that a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's we were we were talking before the, the podcast, and like your your research is fascinating. So is this is this the are you almost done with your your PhD? I am. So I'm in the writing
2: phase right now, uh, and I think it's one of those misperceptions that maybe I had, I know other PhD students have had it too, you forget you have to write a book (laughs) Like you do all this really cool research and papers but then the final product is essentially it's a book Um, and so I'm writing right now um, and I will be the first to admit I could lecture every day for the rest of my life and speak but writing for me is definitely I know I'm really good at it but it's like teeth it's not my favorite thing to spend my time
0: yeah i know well that that's yeah. hard i mean but has i mean has covid been a bit of a blessing in that you've sort of had time. more time to do this not not. Really to be
2: <laughs> i well i so i have been really dedicated and kind of changed my life around to facilitate me just writing for the last year year and a half or so um and so with covid it Really didn't change my day to day that much because I'm like, okay, I'm getting up and writing today. Like, that's that's about the same. There's been some some hiccups in access to certain resources because libraries have been closed all over the world. So if Mm -hmm. I had to go back into to get something from like an archive or consult with somebody in a certain laboratory, I haven't been able to do that. Um, But for the most part, I've just been in solitary writing for the last year and a half of my life. So. No different there.
0: Gosh. And,
3: yeah. and what? Yeah, that's <laughs> loads of writing, man. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: what, yeah. what, what, what got you into your PhD? Yeah, so
2: I was it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try to <laughs> break it down. So mm. I was a female athlete myself. I was a classical ballet dancer growing up. I started, at, I mean, it started probably before I could walk, I was a two and a half, mm. and um, I competed and uh, we started competing at five, and so I was you know, a, a young female in a very athletic world, I did a part-time school, uh, was like, that was my life. But I also had some, I mean, I was, like any female, I went through hormonal changes as I reached puberty. And um, I had some hormonal health difficulties because of that. Um, and uh, my doctor at the time, his solution was to put me on the oral contraceptive pill as a way to regulate my menstrual cycle um now unfortunately um I also had an eating disorder which is another very prevalent thing with young female dancers yeah. um yeah. and I was over training I was dancing I mean five six hours a day plus I was long distance running and then I started lifting at 15. so my body went for a lot of very young age and um as a result of that a few years later when I went off the pill I was like I think I'm hel- I was healthy and um you know really hopefully, to to be able to have, maintain a, a normal a big quotes mm-hmm. menstrual cycle it didn't happen for me and um so at first doctors told me don't worry and I was like no that doesn't seem like the right answer but okay and then about a year and a half later my body just broke down and at that time I was actually in university I was mm-hmm. going through to go into medicine and um that was really scary for me because I went to, I mean, I had so many different specialist doctors that I went to and nobody knew what was wrong with me. Um, there was a bunch of different diagnoses from, uh, brain tumors to this is just you. <laughs> wow.
1: Um,
2: and that was really scary for me because. What made it a unique case is that I was an active female. And the solution for a lot of the doctors was stop exercising.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm
2: thinking to myself, I'm like, if I stop exercising, I'm gonna go crazy. Like that's not a that's not a treatment plan that you yeah. should be getting, yeah. especially <laughs> because I was in kinesiology learning about how you know brilliant human movement is for the body. Um, and so things just didn't make sense to me. Um, luckily, I was able to get paired up with a very brilliant physician um, actually down in Ohio in the States, and he really worked through a lot of the stuff with me because ultimately what we found out was that I didn't get, go through puberty properly um, because I got put on the pill so young, oh, and geez. I was so active. And so I shut down a bunch of different signals in my body that I actually needed to develop properly. Um, And so as a result, when I was 18, my immune system erupted and chaos happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I got really sick. I think my my voice dropped. I started growing hair places. I didn't have a period. And then Mm -hmm. I had a crazy, just crazy thing. So it was was terrifying for me. But during that time, I realized that in my education, there wasn't information on this um there and what was there was so limited it was based around a very small kind of diagnosis in female athletes and it was something that I kind of started to question going yeah. that's actually the way it works um and so off I went and my mentor said to me he was like you know what if you want to create change you got to go into research not into medicine um uh, because as a as a medical practitioner you're not going to be able to do what you need to do with your career and that mm-hmm. was that and I've been doing it ever since i've been i mean i started lifting very young which was a absolute blessing i um fell in love with the weights at 15 but i uh i've seen a lot of good and bad in this industry as
0: a result of that yeah i can imagine yeah
3: that, that's intense being uh like put on the pill at such a young age without they didn't seem like it had an end goal it's like yeah just no. you know just let's see where where it takes you and uh, I'm sure it must be it must have been hard in terms of you know like even with your peers and everything
1: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah yeah. absolutely and it's something that as I I mean I've been uh, in this kind of this field that I am now where I consult with women around the world and practitioners and educators and I mean I'm a consultant and I so I speak to hundreds of people by this point in time and that The more I learned, the more I found that that it's not an unnormal thing to have happen, especially to female athletes, where suddenly the oral contraceptive pill becomes this catch-all solution to a relatively normal physiological function. When women are going through puberty... It's a little bit chaotic. Same thing when men are going through puberty. Their hormones are here and there and everywhere because you're literally laying the foundation for your reproductive system and other systems of your body. It's not supposed to be like a very linear, like A plus B plus C plus D. It's not supposed to be like that because that's not the way the human body works. Um, And so unfortunately, though, with the female, uh, especially the adolescent female body, that can become pathologized. It gets seen as being, you know, say a a heavy bleed is seen as something that is very um, worthy of medical treatment, Mm -hmm. when the reality is is that that for some women is what happens at first. And it's not, I don't like to even label it as good or bad. It kind of just is one of those things where that is. Mm -hmm. Now, if it is absolutely destructive and something is not, you know, it's really kind of changing the way that that individual can live, well, then we got to start to address it, but that shouldn't be through hormonal means mm-hmm. when your body is trying to learn how to make its own hormones. It just—it's such a counterproductive uh, process, but it's so common, and it's not just common in adolescence; it's common throughout the life course. Uh, whether it's women going through menopause or women who are trying to regain a regular menstrual cycle after they've, say, been pregnant. And so the pill gets used for so many different things beyond contraceptive purposes. I don't even like to actually call it that. It's yeah. funny, with my research, I get a lot of slack for that. Because people are like, <laughs> well, why do you have to make this so complicated? I'm like, well, because what you're doing is you're giving somebody synthetic estrogen and yeah. synthetic progesterone. You're not, it, that, at, the, at the base of it, that's what you're doing. It's just marketed in this one single pill in specific amounts. But what you're doing is you're giving their body a, them a, a pharmaceutical steroid. That's what you're doing. It is a steroid at the end of the day. And that sometimes it's given orally, sometimes it's injections, sometimes it's patches, sometimes it's implants, sometimes it's vaginal IUDs, uh, so actually in the the uterine itself, so a a vaginal insert. Um, Sometimes that can be done um, through... so anyway, long story short, there's just a bunch of different ways that they can do it. The pill is just the most common, though, because it's the easiest. Yeah. But even within that, there's lots of different types of hormones that women can get. There's different durations of use. There's different uh, actual amounts of hormones that are being prescribed. And so it's not personalized. Yeah. Often it's not even what the individual needs uh, because the use of those hormones, it, it actually shuts down your body's ability to make its own hormones. It is like a light switch where you shut down the connections between your brain, your ovaries. And it just, it castrates, it's done, it, it, you know, it, you turn that off. And that has very, very, very big implications for individuals.
0: Yeah, and it just... Medicine it, just
2: doesn't talk about them.
0: It, well, that's right. Like, you know, there's just, there's no, you, you're just told to go on the pill. You're not told about anything else or what Absolutely. can happen or that it's a steroid. I mean, if... If someone told you you were taking steroids, you'd be like, no, no, I'm not. And, and just seems like there's just not, you know, like we were saying before that considering this, you know, this is part of, you know, thousands of years, millions of years of evolution. There's that not really that much known. Well, I mean, there's a lot, but gaps. (laughs)
2: huge gaps and and some of that has to do with just the gaps in knowledge around the menstrual cycle itself um so with like um, I love history so I always kind of go back and go like well how long have we actually known these ideas for so well we knew that like I mean you know women have menstrual cycles we didn't actually know what was happening on a hormonal level until around the 1920s 1930s and since then there's been a lot of shifts and so I mean my grandparents were born in the 1920s. That's not that long ago when you think about it. Mm. And at the same time that they were developing knowledge about the menstrual cycle, they also developed pill, the the basis of the the hormones that were used to treat it. So you were learning about the molecule estrogen, the molecule progesterone, and the molecule testosterone, and at the same time, they were developing the synthetic versions of them for treatment. And so these two things developed parallel to each other um and so with the ideas around menstruation itself though it's there was a lot of ideas that weren't the best that kind of got wrapped into that theory that medical theory and it still gets used today Mm -hmm. and unfortunately for the fitness industry Mm -hmm. they've latched onto that and ran very fast and far ahead Mm -hmm. and have not looked back and a lot of women are being disserviced because of it um and i see that with my my I mean, my career every day um, that women get either told to do certain types of programming or certain things get ignored or they just don't have the general awareness. And I don't think that it's anybody's fault. Like, I mean, somebody could point the finger at a coach and be like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. But at the end of the day, there is such bad knowledge about this stuff that all we can do is just accept that there's a lot of bad knowledge and try to do better.
3: Um, Do you you think the reason for the say let's call it bad knowledge is due to say uh taboo maybe guys don't like talking about the women's cycle you know like even you'd see like in homes you know when the when the boy is growing up everyone is like yeah he's he's becoming a man and but when it's happening to the girl it's like no one really wants to talk about it it's like go talk to your mother, you know, like that's, yeah. that's woman stuff. So do yeah, you think this absolutely. could be one of the big reasons why research is so limited or no one has really, well, until you like taken yeah. so much interest in it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um. So not only is sport very, very gendered in terms of of the fact that you, you have a lot of men in positions of power, so coaches or uh, team representatives or the trainers. Um, so we have that aspect. And that ultimately, at least where and I went to school, it's not like I was learning about the menstrual cycle in grade 12 biology class. Um, and if I did, it was maybe like, the bare bones basis and even yeah. in my master's degree <laughs> yeah. so i did a bachelor's degree master's degree and a phd there's not a lot of stuff on the female reproductive cycle in exercise physiology um advanced exercise physiology mm-hmm. you're not getting that information so absolutely there's there's aspect that aspect that there's just not this this conversation about it and why that is well you hit the nail on the head it's one of the conversations that kind of has become very much um like silence like hush hush this is a woman's issue women need to deal with it uh unfortunately that's the furthest thing from the, the truth that it's actually you know it's really important for us to understand human biology and physiology for all people yeah. um not just based off of your age or your gender or your sex um and so that is um that is a really big piece and that is also a big piece of uh, i mean it's, the history, going back to the history, the history is just so complicated and crazy. And I couldn't even make it up yeah. if I wanted to. It's stranger than fiction yeah. um, with the certain individuals' ideas that got accepted and other people's that didn't. And how big pharma was paying for research and then also giving money, like making pills. Like it's just, it It would be the weirdest movie if I could make <laughs> it because people would not believe that it was true. Yeah. And then in the context of sport, it's even more messed up. Um, because one of the reasons, for example, women weren't allowed to participate in sport was because of their menstrual cycles. So mm-hmm. here's something that pro- it was used to prohibit women from participating in sport and not that long ago. And mm-hmm. in some cultures still, still prohibits women from participating in sport. And so how can we create knowledge about something that we we choose to be ignorant about?
0: Yeah, well, that's it's just fascinating and mind-blowing that it's you know that is still the case Um, absolutely well should we just look at the menstrual cycle in more detail then um i don't i don't really want to say normal but what what does a sort of a healthy um menstrual cycle look like
2: yeah so the healthy menstrual cycle and you i might say this a lot and i apologize but it's really complicated what goes into the healthy menstrual cycle. It's not as simple as you see. If you were to Google and, you know menstrual cycle, you would get this cute little diagram yep. of, of certain types of, it almost looks like a graph of things going highs and lows. And first and foremost, that's actually an incorrect representation of what the hormones are doing. Oh. So number one, yeah. okay, <laughs> I would say ninety nine point nine percent of those graphs <laughs> that you see are wrong. The, the data that they used yeah. Yeah. is incorrect. So that aside, what happens for the menstrual cycle? Uh, what, what? I mean, what, what's actually going on? Is you have these interwoven layers of hormonal regulation that causes an end result. And often the end result that people think about is a bleed. That though is really not the end result that we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on something called ovulation um, because ovulation is how the body uh, is able to maintain a healthy hormonal state. But Let's go back to the very beginning. So ovarian hormones, typically speaking, people think of two main ones, estrogen and progesterone. Now, that is a very simplified deal. There's a lot more going on there. You've got testosterone, different forms of estrogen. Um, There's these these various kind of cascades of highs and lows happening, not only within our, our ovaries itself. You also have things happening in your endometrium. You also have signals being sent from your brain so your hypothalamus and your pituitary but then it also gets influenced by other parts of the body like your thyroid, like levels of say iron. So if you're anemic that influences your menstrual cycle like psychological stress. So there is so many different things that influence these cyclical patterns of hormonal fluctuations. so not only do we have a lot of things happening but there's a lot of things that can influence it. So the normal and again big air quotes <laughs> menstrual cycle typically is it includes something called an ovarian cycle, which that is a repetitive development of your follicles, uh, your an ovulation process as well, and then also something called a corpus luteum breakdown or demise, um, and then you also have an endometrial cycle, and that's the proliferation or the, the building up of the endometrium uh, and then different glands that are kind of receiving information and then if all that goes well and you also have sperm involved we create conception we create babies uh, that's the biggest difference between the bodies of men and women is women yeah. create babies um, that is uh, and it's a phenomenal thing when you think about it that yeah. our body creates life
0: yeah
2: blows well, my mind yeah, it every holds day. my mind that I've been doing this for a no, I don't get it, it it It's,
4: a, it's, a, miracle. it's just a
2: miracle. Absolutely. Now, if you don't have conception, there's a shedding of a layer in your endometrium that it results in the bleed or the menstrual cycle that people often think about. So, this process of all these different signals being sent and feedback loops and things breaking down and things building, although historically we've said that this happens in 28 days it's actually a huge degree of variance not only within individuals but also across women Um, so the average length typically speaking could be 27 to even 34 days some women's longer than that and some women that's shorter than that um and and it varies so much Um, within this kind of cycle, this process that's happening, there are typically speaking kind of like two main phases. One is called the follicular phase and one is called the luteal phase. And it's a very simplistic way to describe it, but it works for, especially for our purposes when I don't have like, I can't show my graphs and everything else. So use my whiteboard to draw pictures. So the follicular phase is typically speaking when estrogen is highest. And the process of estrogen working with some pituitary peptides as well or, or hormones, um, there's been different processes that happen that lead to this process called ovulation. Once ovulation happens, and that happens at mid-cycle, then we open into the luteal phase, or kind of like the part two of our menstrual cycle, and that's when progesterone is highest and estrogen is still being created, which is number one thing that you see wrong with those charts is they show estrogen being bottomed out at zero. Yeah. Estrogen is still there. Yeah. Um, and that though progesterone is at its peak, and then progesterone starts to drop, estrogen drops, and that's when we have our bleed or our menses. During menses, the whole cycle starts over again. So the beginning of the menstrual cycle actually starts when somebody starts their bleed. Day one is day one of the menstrual cycle because after that, a bunch of hormones kick up again, estrogen goes back up, you go back into your follicular phase. That carries out to mid-cycle, mid-cycle, ovulation ovulation goes into luteal luteal goes back to the beginning and we have this cycle that gets repeated um, when most women multiple times throughout their their life course mm-hmm. um, and that no two cycles are often the same for mm-hmm. the entire duration of their life course um, some women have differences in duration some women have um, you know little things that go straight ovulation is a really complicated process for our body to do and that it is actually relatively common, especially within the athletic population to have obligatory disturbances, which means you don't actually make enough progesterone or you don't make any at all. Mm -hmm. Yet you still bleed. So Mm -hmm. people, they're called silent obligatory disturbances because Mm -hmm. often people don't even realize that something's not actually going the normative way. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that we ovulate because that's how we create most of the progesterone in our body. If Mm -hmm. we don't ovulate, we don't create most of the progesterone. So that is huge to know that if you don't create progesterone over time, there's consequences for that. No different than if somebody has high testosterone or low testosterone, high estrogen or low estrogen for women, because that process is so, so, so important we really should know a lot more and talk about it a lot more, but unfortunately we don't because we focus on the bleed. Like that's the biggest thing and the biggest variable involved with menstrual cycle. And while it is really important, I really try to get that across to people that ovulation is critical. And that literally means the release of the egg from the ovary. And this process is key because this is what leads to pregnancy if there is conception. Mm -hmm. Now, if there isn't, it leads to the creation of progesterone. And so that kind of coordinate, there's like that coordination kind of events that lead to that process. It involves our brain. It involves our ovaries. It involves our endometrium, but it also involves the environment within our body and the environment outside of our body. One of the biggest reasons why women don't ovulate is stress Mm -hmm. and stress of all types And it's a very kind of, if I look at it from a very evolutionary perspective, why would a woman's body want to make a baby if she's stressed? Whether that's too much food, too little food, too much training, too little training, not enough money, social stress, breakups, death, grief, or things internally like, um, you know, like I mentioned before, anemia, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: or certain types of nutritional deficiencies, certain types of imbalances, whether that's with their thyroid or say they've got a gastric ulcer and they're not actually able to absorb their food properly and then their body senses they're starved when they're not because they're eating. There's so many different nuances and, and complications with this that get forgotten within not only medicine but within the physical fitness world because they don't talk about ovulation. They talk about the bleed as being the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and I guess that gets com- confusing because if you, you think you're, you're healthy and you, you bleed, but yeah. like you say, you might not be ovulating and, and, Absolutely. I mean, and then progesterone has so many other benefits. Um,
2: yeah, huge huge yeah. amounts. And, and that's where it, it gets confusing for a lot of people because we've become almost so in tune to this. Like, if I'm bleeding, I'm good. Yeah, If it's happening at the same time every month, I'm good. If it's happening for the same amount of days, I'm good. If it's about the same um, volume, I'm good. And it's so uh, important to know that that's only a small piece of what's happening at the end of the day. Um, And that there are many different things that can cause kind of periods to go like bump, to not actually go the way that they're supposed to go. So you can have a shortened phase. So remember how I said that at mid-cycle – is when you go from follicular to luteal. Well, some people can have a shorter luteal phase, meaning that they ovulated not at mid-cycle, but a little bit too close to when they started to bleed.
1: Mm-hmm. Some
2: people can have an extended luteal phase, meaning that instead of it being, say, somebody has a 14 or a 28-day menstrual cycle, and day 14 is when they should ovulate, all of a sudden they're having ovulating at day 14, but they might not have a bleed until day 40. So we now have a very long, we've got an extra 12 days there, uh, which extends that gluteal phase. You can also not make enough progesterone. Mm-hmm. You can have imbalances with um, estrogen as well, high or low. You can also have imbalances like high or low progesterone. Uh, you can have the timing being off in terms of one cycle. You have... 28 day, and then you have a 32, and then you have a 40, and then you've got nothing for a couple months, and mm-hmm. then it comes back, but it's only really light, and you don't really know what's going on. That is one of the biggest things I work with when I work with women yeah. is that that is their menstrual cycle, yeah. and for them that's the way it's always been. That is their normal. Now that's not to say that that normal is good or bad or right or wrong. That's their normal. Mm -hmm. And it's working with that individual to work through that, to actually figure out what's happening with their hormones, with the signaling, with other systems in their body. Because if that's just them, Mm -hmm. especially as an athlete, things are crazy and chaotic, then we need to optimize that to the best of our ability. But if I were to regulate that person, say like, okay, and my goal is free to have a twenty eight day cycle every single month, yeah. that might actually be detrimental to their health. That could be detrimental to their performance. Because that's not what their body needs and wants to do. All of us are unique, all of us are different. And we have to be open to that by understanding what's actually happening mm-hmm. on the
0: inside. So when I mean what kind of irregularities would mm. you suggest a woman to go and get get some help like from someone like yeah. you? So I'm of the
2: opinion that as women and as men, because yeah. it's important for you guys too, <laughs> we need to understand what's happening with the menstrual cycle and pay attention yeah. to the signs, the triggers of what's actually going on. So I think it is so important for women to have a consciousness of this to track, it's I call it health literacy
1: yeah. that
2: you are paying attention to the ebbs and flows of what your hormones are doing, your reproductive hormones in particular, and you're keeping note of that. And so it involves things like tracking your flow, which a lot of women now are starting to do, basal metabolic temperature. So, cool thing about progesterone is it increases your body temperature. So by taking your temperature with a, just a basic thermometer um, first thing in the morning without you know, drinking or doing anything, you can chart your temperature throughout the duration of your menstrual cycle to actually see whether or not you are ovulated. How cool is that? Yeah, but you yeah. don't hear people talking about that no. within fitness. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, true, true, true. And
2: it is actually often more accurate than doing lab work.
0: Oh, wow. Because lab work, we have to time
2: it at the right time (laughs) to be able to know what or where their hormones are supposed to be and then compare what their lab results are to that. If somebody has an irregular cycle, that's next to impossible to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so tracking something like a basal temperature, super cool, super important. Even tracking things like discharge and cervical mucus, very important. Uh, breast pain and nipple sensitivity, headaches, mood disturbances, mm-hmm. even just quality of life, which for athletes, it can become a really good tool because they can start to see patterns and trends. If you do this over time, I often suggest that women start with a goal of just say, I'm like, do it for three months. Yes. That, Cause you need to do it more than one month. So I am like, do it for mm-hmm. three months, track these variables. And then let's take a step back and let's actually look at your personal data yes. to see what's going on. And then from there, we can make adjustments to either, say, you're having, a I don't know, cramps. We can make adjustments to then figure out what we need to do to mitigate and manage those. Because at the end of the day, women and men need to know that the menstrual cycle is not supposed to be debilitating.
0: Exactly, it should yeah. not
2: be crippling. You should not have raging mood swings. You should not be so tired you can't get out of bed. You should not have so much cramps that you cannot function. Now, a little bit of these things is normal. We all go through them. Men, Mm -hmm. women alike. We have fluctuations Mm -hmm. of our hormones that are going to make us Have more energy or have lower energy or have a higher mood or have a lower mood. Like these are the ebbs and flows that, I mean, that's part of being human. Uh, But it's when these things become debilitating is when we need to stop, take a step back and ask what do we need to do to actually create a more stable environment. The last thing that most people need is to throw a bunch of hormones into the mix. You've already got a hormonal imbalance going on. That's not the way we fix it. At least not The first thing we do there's a lot of other things because as I mentioned there's so many variables that influence the menstrual cycle sleep Mm -hmm. huge
1: huge
2: for the menstrual cycle massively Mm -hmm. huge if your sleep is messed up guess what you are opening yourself up to a world of hate when it comes to having a healthy menstrual cycle if you are training say you're at a, a higher training cycle well you've got to acknowledge that that might have an impact on your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye open for that. If you're all of a sudden, say, going through a really stressful time in your life, that might impact your menstrual cycle. So try to put things in place to actually help you bring your nervous system down. Breathing practices, even. Mm -hmm. So important at regulating your nervous system. Nervous system, it interacts with that menstrual cycle. It's actually called, instead of just the endocrine system, it's called the neuroendocrine system because yeah. your nervous system impacts your ability to create and make and bind hormones, and those two things work serendipitously together. Um, and so keeping a toll on all that, I know I kind of probably went off tangent there, <laughs> but yeah. you give me a one question, I just run with it a lot. So always feel free to like reel me back in. Yeah.
0: No, that is just so interesting in how... I guess it's just human nature to rather than look at your sleep or your stress, it's like you said, just you know, throw some more hormones at it or the solution is to go on the pill. Or that women think that what they're going through is normal, um when in fact it is debilitating and that's not how how it has yeah. to be.
2: Yeah. And it often gets trivialized. It's like, oh well yeah. you're just on your menstrual cycle and it's like No If you open yourself up to learning What's your normal? You can judge if that's right or wrong or good or bad for you. I mean, I always give the example of like an athlete, let's say she's, you know, uh, somebody training for a fitness competition and their whole life they've had this very regular menstrual cycle. Mm. And all of a sudden, in that last month before the show, they don't get it. I will have a lot of women that will come to me and be like, oh my God, like this is not good. Or off of women that go, like, oh, this is totally normal, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, let's meet in the middle here. Yeah. We have to acknowledge that what you're doing is a huge amount of stress on your body. Yeah. So it's likely that this might be a kind of side effect of sorts of engaging in the activities you, that are required to step on stage as a fitness athlete. However, it's not necessarily the best thing, it has implications for you. So we don't wanna be here forever. Mm-hmm. We might say, like, okay, MetroCycle gets thrown off for, let's say, two to three months during that kind of competitive peak. But then after that, if it's not coming back, we've got to start to step up our game mm-hmm. and make some changes. Uh, not only that, is we can be doing things throughout the entire prep,
4: so that's not
2: as likely to happen.
4: Yeah, yeah on that, um, I see a lot of women, they go from show to show. Mm-hmm. They do... Like be super lean for like almost twelve months and never have an off season. What is the long term impact on the menstrual cycle of literally having no um, cycle, no ovulation for a protracted period of time? Yeah. So, great question. See this all
2: the time with my line of work. Um, So it can be so. The biggest issue is you're not actually in a healthy state if that's happening you might feel like you are but if you're not having the proper hormonal creation that has impacted a great example is your bone health Mm -hmm. so your bones our bones women's bones uh we have a very important impact of estrogen and progesterone If you're not creating progesterone, you're not preserving the bone that you're making. You might only be 30 years old right now, but you're creating and preserving your bone for once you go through menopause and you're no longer making those hormones. You have a very limited amount of years to make and safeguard your skeletal system.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And if you don't do it in that period of time, good luck, Chuck, once you hit menopause, unless you're going to go on, like, uh, I mean, hormonal therapy, but mm-hmm. ultimately you have this set period of time for something like even reproductive function, so the ability to actually conceive. For some individuals, it gets harder the longer that you are, um, have either an anovulatory
1: cycle or complete amenorrhea, which is no bleed. Mm-hmm. A lot
2: of that also relates to, like, your period I always use the word period to mean time and I talk about periods, I gotta stop doing that so it also relates to the phase of time when you're going through purity itself so that age of let's say around 13 to 18 years old so if during that time you did not create the proper kind of foundation for your reproductive life cycle it is really hard to get your menstrual cycle regulated once you lose it in your reproductive prime, which would be about that 18 to 20 years old all the way till Mm perimenopause. So that's the time that your body is like, it's supposed to be making and creating hormones and making a place for babies to actually exist. And I hate that I always bring it back to uh, fertility because it's not all about fertility. I mean, there's lots of women that they don't want kids. and I Mm -hmm. mean, I'm one of them. That's fine. However, Mm -hmm. we have to recognize That the hormones are doing a very important job for so many systems. Our brains, our neuro function relies on regular ovulatory cycles. Our thyroid relies on that. Our relaxation and ability to have calm, our ability to grow muscle, to lose fat. So there's this certain important mechanism that hormones play in our body that's so much more than just, you know, making babies or having a, a regular reproductive cycle, but it all plays together. It all plays together. So sometimes I create this, these simplified kind of examples, but it's only to illustrate that at the end of the day, that's what our body wants to be able a place to do. And to do that requires a lot. So kind of going back to your question it really is no different if you're a man or a woman. A lot of people don't actually talk about the fact that men crush their reproductive hormones when they maintain being lean for an extended period of time. Oh, yeah. Just like women have what we call hypothalamus pituitary ovarian dysfunction or uh, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea is a term that gets used a lot that I don't always agree with that. But essentially what it means is you're not, creating an environment for the proper signals to be sent from your brain to your reproductive organs, your reproductive organs back to your brain. That feedback loop you've interrupted because you're under so much physiological stress. And that that over time has an impact on your ability to recover from it and also your ability to maintain your athletic goals uh that's a big piece you start to see women all of a sudden that they might have gone from show to show to show and they might not have had that menstrual cycle from show to show to show and all of a sudden now their hair is falling out yeah they can't lose any more body fat they start gaining weight and they're going well i'm no longer that athlete but what do i do for men it's thing it's like what do I do I you know I I want kids and my sperm count is zero yeah what do I do it's
3: kind of interesting because guys and girls get lean to try and be attractive so (laughs) but it it tends it's like it's the other way around you're getting leaner and you're messing with your reproductive
2: health
1: yeah yeah
2: wow and some people's bodies are more resilient to that right like there's a lot that goes into that um from i mean your genetics and then the environment that you put them in at certain very critical growth phases so for the human body there's certain critical phases that our body is creating certain pathways certain connections and it's not just with our reproductive cycle it can even be with our ability to sense pain there are certain trajectories we have in our timeline that actually allow us to develop the proper Roads, For lack of a better metaphor, it's like road work. We're we're literally paving these roads. And so for some individuals, they might have certain things that have kind of just these little tweaks that have gone off along the way. Say they had uh, pneumonia as an infant. And then they had to be put on, you know, certain types of corticosteroids. And then that kind of shifted and altered in their genetic framework. And Mm -hmm. now they don't absorb certain nutrients the right way.
0: And Mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe they're
2: 13 years old and they get put on force control. Or they have a car accident that leaves them with a head injury that then influences their brain's ability to send signals. Mm -hmm. And because they don't have that proper framework because of that, you know, episode of pneumonia and how their body reacted and responded, now we've got this other little bump in their body's ability to recover, restore, and maintain normal physiological function. So you start getting a bunch of these little bumps, and it gets harder and harder and harder to recover from certain types of triggers and stimulus, whether that is a hypocaloric diet, whether that is overtraining, whether that is you know, overcoming a certain uh, infection or some type of other ailment or disease. And so really for us as athletes, it's reminding ourselves that stress is inherently inhibiting for our body. Athletic performance is inherently inhibiting for our body because it is a stress Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. You going into the gym when you're like in your off-season is still a stress for your body. You're Mm -hmm. asking yourself to break down. And then you're Mm -hmm. giving it the right tools to build it back up again. Mm -hmm. And it's not just with food. It's with sleep. It's with proper digestion. It's with proper coping mechanisms. It's with things like breathing. There are so many things beyond what our industry has decided you need to build a body. It's not just the gym in this one little box and supplements in this other little box and food in this other little box. You need so much more than that. And so if we start to kind of reframe athletic performance like that, you actually need a regular auditory menstrual cycle to be able to be the best athlete you can be.
1: Yeah. I know.
4: At the end of the day. All oh now, not Right. sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say one question: yeah. If you say been a competitive mm-hmm. athlete, your menstrual cycle stops. How mm-hmm. long does it take to get to almost get back on track? Or does that vary massively between women? And women? I don't have an for you. <laughs> wow.
2: You know, some okay. sometimes, and, and that's where that resilience comes in. Yeah. It's like when you are going through your reproductive growth, right? Your puberty period and you've had a relatively regular ovulatory menstrual cycle for an extended period of time before you lose it for many times, women can get it back relatively quickly. If they haven't had a regular healthy ovulatory menstrual cycle for an extended period of time, it's harder for their body to go back there because it doesn't know where it's going Mm. So whether that is, is that they were, say, on birth control, whether that is, is they just have uh, certain types of, I call them derailment. So whether that is, say, they have endometriosis or they have some type of cysts that develop if they have um, other types of, you know, they have hypothyroidism
1: mm-hmm. that
2: their bodies go-to is dysfunction. So how do we get it then to function again? That's not, that's not where it wants to go. And so those individuals, yeah, it does take a lot more to get things to come back to having a regular auditory cycle. And for some individuals, I hate to say it, like this is kind of the anti-speech I'm going to say, having a regular auditory menstrual cycle is just not in their cards. Yeah. There are some individuals that genetically and environmentally for their body to do that, it might not be the healthiest for them because they're an uber complicated case
1: Mm. but
2: that's not the majority of individuals like i mean that is like 0.5 percent of the people i work with that is so few and far between Mm. but that's because all of us are different the spectrum of human difference is massive
1: yeah
2: um so at the end of the day that would come back to like i don't know i wish i could tell you women come to me and they're like i want to compete in six months can i get my period back and i'm like
1: no idea oh geez I don't I don't
2: know or I want to have a baby but I haven't had a period for six years and I'm like we can try we're going to give it our best shot but for some individual getting that back naturally i.e. not utilizing any type of bioidentical hormones Mm -hmm. is very difficult and takes time for other people they have been in such a state of dysfunction for so long that you're carefully pulling out these pieces of this very kind of like messy knot of of all this different rope and threads. Like you're carefully undoing this in a way that they don't completely lose their shit and become, you know, depressed because Mm -hmm. they're not able to look the way they want and feel the way they want because they, you know, they've been there for so long. I often, like, the way that I kind of phrase it to a lot of people is, like, you're on the same team as your body. So you got to start treating it like that. Yeah. You've got to start nurturing your body all along the way. Because if you're not, when it starts to get hard, you want your body to actually work with you. Yeah. And for a lot of women, they are fighting uphill backwards because they not only, may say, have menstrual issues, they also have... Um, emotional issues about their body image, mm. they might feel the perception that they need to stay lean, mm. huge amounts of stress, lack of self-confidence and self-esteem and everything else, and those things aren't going to help you regain your menstrual cycle they're going to make it harder,
1: yeah, yeah. those
2: are stress at the end of the day and your body senses it as that yeah.
4: and, and, and it's like a perfect storm would be being put on birth control at an early age, then being a competitive athlete then deciding, I'm not going to be on birth control, I want to try and have a baby on fertility and try to get it back because, you know, so much has gone into those first formative years, it's, you know, it's going to take a while to rebuild, yeah. as you said, loads, loads yeah. back up where you need to be, homeostasis. Yeah. yeah,
2: and now throw in an eating disorder in there, throw in early childhood sports specialization, say they were a, a football player as a young girl. Um, throw in some genetic abnormalities and we have ourselves my, my nine to five consulting practice. (laughs) Like that is really what I, I work with a lot of, and it, and it's a, that process is something I think we all as coaches, athletes, we need to respect what we put our body through. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by we got to be on the same team as it. Um, and also lay out those realistic expectations of like, this is, we got one body. It's all we
4: got. Y- yes, yeah, yeah, so on and- that coaching, how can coaches assist in assisting their athletes in what training around the menstrual cycle to get yeah. one performance, but also with health, trans balance health yeah. as well? So that is one of my favorite questions
2: to squish, is should an athlete's training be programmed according to their menstrual cycle? I loathe it. You know why? How do we do it if yeah. we don't even know what the heck is happening on the outside? Because yeah. Yeah. a lot of those ebooks and programs, or even just descriptions of what estrogen is doing and progesterone is doing, is based off of this archetype of the perfect, perfect menstrual cycle yeah. that happens every single month like clockwork. That is not reality and that is especially not reality for most athletes
1: Mm -hmm. because we
2: are putting our body through so much stress every single day throughout our athletic career. So it is the most unrealistic approach to training. Now, I am all for training for an individual and if that individual has a menstrual cycle, cool, we can work with that. But, just on its basis of like the the idea, and there's so much of this stuff floating around right now. Um, It's just, it's built on so many key assumptions, like that women have this predictable, stable menstrual cycle, Mm -hmm. that reproductive hormones follow the same scientifically proven trajectory every single cycle, that hormonal fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone result in the same net impact each cycle. You see these training plans that say, Hey, go more for strength during this phase. And, oh, oh yeah. go more for endurance in this phase <laughs> yeah. because th- your estrogen is high and you've got this type of like metabolic function <laughs> happening as a result of that and it's like that's hogwash.
3: Yeah, I read that, that today. Is, I, yeah. I, I was telling Claire it, about it.
2: Yeah. I, it's it's hogwash. <laughs> it also assumes that every menstrual cycle is going to be ovulatory.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It it says that the changes in ovarian levels of estrogen and progesterone are critical to performance. We don't know that.
1: Mm.
2: That there is not proven science on that. It assumes that all women are the same, yeah. and it assumes that there's actual research to support this practice, and there's not. There's simply not at all. And so, like I mentioned, like even mm. that that diagram that I see. Uh, and i mean anybody can if you just google like menstrual cycle or phases of menstruation and you look at there's like these little peaks and valleys i've actually had coaches that are like oh yeah i developed a training program based off of that and i'm like
1: <laughs> but
2: you don't actually know what's happening you just googled this you saw the estrogen it was apparently higher in the first half of is higher in the second half then you googled what estrogen does to your muscle or your strength or your speed or your endurance. You Google what progesterone does, and then you call yourself, you know, an expert and write a program and sell it to the, the masses. I'm like, but you're based this whole thing on, an, on a myth. Mm-hmm. Like, that yeah. relationship. Like, so just to give you guys an idea, in a normal auditory menstrual cycle, estradiol, which is the form of estrogen um, that we're talking about, it peaks to about... 240% above its low. So it rises about 240% from its lowest place. Progesterone its about 1,400% increase. If you Google, you're going to notice that estrogen and progesterone with those diagrams look like they're rising yeah, yeah, the, same the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. in an obligatory cycle. So now let's talk about when women have an anovulatory cycle, what's happening? Let's talk about when women have, say, a, a increased luteal phase. What's happening? Let's talk about when they're amenorrheic. What's mm-hmm. happening? It's different. So we can't base this utopian training cycle around it because we're ultimately just doing a disservice to our athletes. What we can do is we can get our athletes to search fracking cycle mm-hmm. we can use that data of whether or not they are ovulating how they feel you know I've been doing this a long time and I can say I have some women that are rock stars premenstrual. they are like epic with their strength and their energy and everything else I have other women that are like zombies they both have ovulatory cycles they're both healthy but that's mm-hmm. just them yeah. that's how their body responds. I have some women that it changes cycle to cycle based off of everything else going on. I have some women that are like, I do not want to squat when I cramp because my literally my uterus feels like it's going to fall out of me. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah. I'm going to listen to you oh, and yeah. what your feedback is and not what my little <laughs> cute program is telling me to do, because I mean, no matter where your hormones might be, if you have, say, increased blood flow to your endometrium and you're feeling it, you might not actually have proper pelvic floor strength to be able to do that that exercise in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I put my blinders on as a coach and I just go like, oh, no, but you're at the optimal phase to do this, like, three-rep max test, yes. I'm failing. Like, I am failing this whole plan of me trying to actually create a good athlete. Um, So my my biggest piece of advice for athletes and coaches is to actually track biomarkers Mm -hmm. that are important to understand the ebb and flow of an individual's menstrual cycle. Learn the athlete and build your own data. Mm -hmm. And if you want to begin to understand this on a more theoretical level, go to the research. Do not go to the internet web of, you know, Instagram and start looking at all these cute programs, go to reproductive physiology and learn about, let's just say, let's learn about the the endocrine signals. Let's learn about what a reproductive um, cycle looks like in an individual. Let's learn about some of the science behind it so we can apply that to our individuals we're working with rather than reading some type of blog post about the menstrual cycle that's not even giving you correct information because you're not doing your homework Mm
1: -hmm. and then
2: you're not applying it to that individual. So another big thing is that, yes, we have our menstrual cycle, but we have so much else going on. And men and women alike, we have so much going on that as coaches we need to be paying attention to. We can't just be thinking, oh, women have our menstrual cycle. Therefore, we can create this training program that's like a two week on, two week off kind of deal. And then they de-load during their bleed. And then we go back to the beginning. And, you know, as women, it's like menstrual cycles do not define us. So don't yeah. make them define our training.
1: Yeah.
2: They do not make us a greater or less athlete, they are part of our blueprint. And that's cool because men also have things that are part of their birth blueprint and men and women alike have more things similar than dissimilar. Mm -hmm. So let's start to program for the individual. You know, if I had an athlete that was say in university and doing exams and their stress level was through the roof, would I be doing, let's say a peaking cycle for powerlifting during that week? No, I'm going to listen to them and know, that their stress is incredibly high. They're probably not eating properly. They're probably not sleeping properly. So would that be the best for them? No. Even if I've done this beautiful, like, undulating, periodized, 12-week program, and that's where it's supposed to be, if that's not optimal for that person, it's just not optimal, and we need to know that and adapt. Mm -hmm. The only way we can adapt is if we understand what we're actually doing. We understand the information and ideas behind it. And that idea of of athlete-centered coaching, for me, professionally, that is a big piece of what I do and what I'm trying to get across to people. Because that truly is how we can create sustainable athletes and healthy athletes. Because, like I mentioned, performance is inherently inhibitory. We're breaking ourselves down, so let's actually start building ourselves up. And each of us are different. We come into this world even with difference. So we have to start acknowledging that. Even the phenoms, the people that you're like, oh my God, you were born to compete in, they still have these derailments. Or they might be at their prime athletically, but maybe mentally there's a lot going on that they have to work through that's actually not great for their performance outcomes or their longevity. So we have to look at that whole thing together as coaches um, and kind of just sort of reiterate the fact with women, it's, it's knowing that, yes, we have these hormonal fluctuations that happen. Yes, mm-hmm. we have them, but they should not be debilitating for us. They might cause shifts in our performance, but so does that exam period. So does that breakup. So does that, you know, inability to eat a meal because you're rushing from a job to another job. Those also impact our performance, so let's not put all of our eggs in the menstrual basket but let's
0: still know that we have one yeah Yeah, that that is so interesting um and yeah i think it's like you say just to to take just to know about yourself more like you say to to track your temperature and just build this picture up and yeah for all the coaches listening as well like you say no the perfect program just doesn't exist you know, things just get in the way. Um, but, yeah, that That's, yeah,
4: that's the thing. That. we all say, personalise every programme. Because, you know, you do anyway, this is no different. And this yeah. is also, you know, probably indicates why you should work long-term with a client as much as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can personalise a programme. And this is why when clients jump from coach to coach, it becomes harder for a coach to understand that bio data. Okay. Absolutely.
2: And I also, I also think that the, the greatest relationship that we can build is the one with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so as an individual coming into a say, coaching relationship, and being able to say to your coach, like, okay, I totally going to own this one, because this was me back in the day, mm-hmm. I'd be like, you are really good at what you do. But I know that I know me more than anybody else.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: let's talk about me. And then you can, you know, do what you do, applying it to myself. But, like, I, you have to be able to own your difference. And you have to be able to talk to your coach about it and feel open to talking to them. And if they're not, if you feel that your coach is not open to talking about, let's say, the fact that you have endometriosis. Or the fact that you have, for a male, even, no libido. If you cannot talk to your coach about that, that's probably not the best coach for you. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah.
1: M- move on.
2: Or... If it's because they say, it's a social taboo, mm-hmm. break it through. Maybe instead of having that conversation verbally, do it by email. A lot of times people are a lot more comfortable and receptive to these things when mm-hmm. they can type it out versus talk it out. Mm-hmm. I, I actually recommend that to a lot of male coaches is that, like, hey, if you're going to do a survey for a female athlete on their menstrual cycle, do it digital. Do it hard copy. Yeah. Because if you want to get good information, because we know this stuff is still very, very taboo... You've got Mm -hmm. to open up that door to actually do it and a great way is through doing either like paper survey or doing something like a digital survey or even doing just like an email questionnaire back and forth and then that at least, you know, you have that box too that says, are you comfortable talking more about this with me? Mm -hmm. Check box, yes or no. If they say no, then be like, Mm -hmm. no, you know another question. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable talking to your physician about these issues? You know, and then you as a coach can make that recommendation of like, hey, I noted that, you know, we don't need to talk about this. I'm really grateful that you've provided me this information. It's really going to be helpful for me for programming. However, I strongly recommend that you follow up with some of these questions you might have with your physician. As a coach, that's all you can do. You're not a doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I'm excited you're late. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I've been doing this a very long time. And I have seen it all in my years, in terms of coaches that have tried to be Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde, and you know all these crazy things, and then those that are ignorant, and then those that pay attention to minutia, and those that you know make women feel because they have a irregular menstrual cycle, really seen it all. And so that, though, like for women, for men, track your data, mm-hmm. yeah. learn your data, track your data, and I have no problem sending you guys a basic menstrual cycle diary that you guys can post with the show notes of yeah. some basic things to start keeping an eye on. It's, yeah. it's old. I am old school as it gets actually. Like I am pen and paper, but there are crazy apps out there. Apps only work. If you understand why you're tracking certain variables, yes. Yeah. Yes. if you don't understand what that means to have a migraine premenstrually, that apps not doing you very good.
1: Mm so you have
2: to be able to understand what's happening and that's why i say you know track and go back to that literature go back to that information as a coach also one of the big things i recommend people do is do a little case study that's how you learn
1: yeah
2: i mean as women we got lucky because we could case study ourselves yeah. and that's like the best yeah. thing we can do um but for, for male coaches you know talk to a, a female friend or a client that you're comfortable with or a sister or a partner or whomever and be like hey Do you mind me, like, asking you some questions about your menstrual cycle? Once you as the coach can be like, okay, so this individual, let's say she's got a regular bleed, but she doesn't know if she ovulates. She's got some cramping that's mild premenstrually. She's really regular, but she does notice that she's really tired. Take that information and now go look into what's up. You know, look into, like, well, if she doesn't know she's ovulating, what do I need to put in place to help her understand that?
1: Yeah let's
2: start to understand more maybe why she's having cramping and if that's a good thing or a bad thing well you know Victoria said on the podcast that a little bit is okay Mm -hmm. so you know let's let's ride that out for a couple more months and see if it goes away or see if she's continuing to get it let's see what's happening with that energy she said she felt it last month but wasn't sure if it was there the month before Mm -hmm. so let's track for it so it's a really easy tool that as coaches can begin to decipher and uncode and learn, and ask questions, and as individuals, they probably will greatly appreciate you asking, rather than just having, you know, the ignorance is bliss kind of stance on it.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, no, that would be great to have that. Yeah. yeah I'm also a pen and paper.
3: And uh, I was thinking, I'm sure a lot of your <laughs> your clients are bodybuilding, you know, female bodybuilders who... Have expert coaches who've uh, probably messed them up. Yeah, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> Cause yes, I know
3: I even, it, You know, it, like
2: I work with athletes from all different walks of life, and I also work with a lot of non-athletes as well, yeah. like your everyday people. But the athletes that, you know, especially in last, I would say five years or so, are those that have like even those that have respectable coaches. Mm the coaches that at first I was like oh they don't seem so bad and I'm like yeah. whoa or,
1: yeah.
3: whoa
2: like you did what
3: yeah they're just experimenting with the client <laughs> oh jeez
0: that's scary very <laughs> um, well that you know and it's it,
2: we see that with medicine too yeah. I mean I get some women that come to me and they tell me what their doctor suggested I'm like
1: they, mm.
2: they did what <laughs> they want you to do what so you know whether it coaches or doctors alike. It's you know, there's just so much we don't understand. And it's being open to that, but then it's also creating that knowledge that is it's driven by data, like Mm -hmm. actual data, not like the fake shit we had with sport medicine on female athletes. So going back to the actual physiology, the science, Mm -hmm. the bare bones, and then building up this new knowledge base. I mean that's really how we can restore and create better knowledge
0: yeah. um yeah. and
2: then going back to the individual i will mm. always stand true to that one
0: yeah no that's and i mean it's it, there's so much more like the whole coming off the pill and other steroids but um yes. like that's yeah that's a whole different topic um maybe oh, it at, is. it's it's
2: not <laughs> beast. and even even things yeah. like you know menstrual cycle dysfunctions mm-hmm. right I find it's often easier to talk about not the perfect menstrual cycle, but to talk about when things go bump. Because yeah. that's a little bit easier for people to wrap their brains around because that perfect menstrual cycle doesn't really yeah. exist. Yeah. I mean, in theory, it does. I, I have, I mean, I've got a written description of the perfect menstrual cycle, but how many of my individuals I've worked with over the years have that? Yeah. Few bar. And if they have that, often there's... Like, Going on that, it uh, has to be worked through in its in its, in its own time.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. So so interesting. And then may, oh. maybe Andy will will hunt you down again for another <laughs> uh, absolutely. episode absolutely. on, on I, all I of love, that.
2: I love what you guys are doing because you guys are building this knowledge at the ground up, right? And yeah. it is so cool to be able to be on the show with you because it's. It's exciting. As somebody, I've been in the fitness industry for 15 years. So I've seen huge shifts in the North American kind of like Western fitness culture Mm -hmm. in the last five so, five to seven years, I would say. And as a woman, especially like I was in the gym culture before it was cool to train
1: weights.
2: Yeah. Right. But we still had that fitness culture. We still had that idea. So for you guys that you're at that ground level, so cool. And you're doing it the right way. And that Thank is you. awesome. Like, I mean, that's like, <laughs> I sometimes wish I could be like the Western world, fitness culture, like, let's just start over. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, I know, just, can imagine. You know, let's, just, let's just press the restart button. Yeah. Yeah. I was having medicine too. Let's just press the restart button. Unfortunately then, we wouldn't actually know where we went wrong. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll take the BS as, you know, as it comes <laughs> and try to just do better for the future, but it is. It's. It is so so cool to see what you guys are doing. Thank yeah, well,
0: you. We we're so grateful to have like have you with all your knowledge come on, Because um, we were like, well, we could talk about it, but we yeah, honestly we know don't nothing. know like like <laughs> what you've said is so interesting. Um, I feel like I should have been taking more notes, but yeah, I've I've, I've <laughs> We'll been, have I've, to re-listen to our own podcast. I've been in
3: the classroom just writing notes down. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. No. There's um. Yeah. You. You've. You've bust a lot of myths and misconceptions yeah. and preconceived ideas there and yeah. yeah
3: and helped a lot here now yeah. i'm sure a lot of women can yeah. relax think looking and stop looking for the perfect yeah. Yeah. menstrual that's, cycle that's,
1: that's a big thing yeah well and i think
2: to kind of leave a parting piece of advice would be that Optimize what you have going on, optimize where you're at. Mm-hmm. If that's, I mean, that really is, I think almost every talk I've done over the last five years, I have like this slide that says the foundations. Yeah. Because ultimately, if you're not doing things like sleep, if you're not doing things like stress reduction, if you're not exercising in a more of a moderate controlled environment, you know, it's okay to turn it up sometimes, it's okay to turn it down, but I'm just talking about the Mm -hmm, day-to-day. If you're not working on ways to, you know, reduce chronic inflammation, if you're not having fun, if you're not having good coping strategies, if you're not trying to reduce your total, like, toxin load, if you're not having... I know you guys talked to my colleagues about regular bowel movements um, for gut health. If you're not having... Um, you know, nutri- you've got a bunch of nutrient deficiencies. If you're not breathing properly, mm-hmm. which most of us aren't doing, if you're not able to, um, you know, eat, or if you are, one of the things you can focus on is just eating in a sustainable, healthy way. No quick fixes, no diets. Mm-hmm. Just eat good food. If you can do all of that, and you can do that for more than a couple of weeks, you no, know, do it for a couple months. Yeah. That is your foundation for success, whether that's athletic success, whether that's menstrual cycle, whether that is just living your best life. If you can do that, and of course, there's more, but that's just some basic, and I was like 12 things. You can do that. You are going to be off to an amazing start. Now, if you also start tracking your uh, certain biomarkers, Mm -hmm. menstruation, you sleep, performance, basic stuff, we've just built a second floor to your house. Right, we've got the foundation, we've got the first floor, we've got the second floor. Now we just have to do the finishing touches. You are you are already an optimal athlete. That is cool to know that.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So instead
2: of looking for fixes, instead of looking for certain pills to make your cycle regulate or any just go back to the basics, the things that make us a really good functioning human being. Get those in place, put them in place for a little bit, take that step back and assess. Because if at that point in time, say, you've known all those 12 things for, let's say, three months, and there's still some things that maybe aren't functioning the way that you'd like them to, now you have a place to start. You yeah. yeah. can be like, okay, yeah,
1: now I can maybe.
2: actually mm-hmm. go and have a conversation with my doctor and be like, I'm doing all of this yeah. stuff. Can we run some labs? Yeah. And you, your labs are going to be a hell of a lot more accurate than if you don't do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. That, I think that that's such good and, parting advice for everyone, and... You know, everyone can do that. That's not going to cost you anything. That's just. Breathe. Yeah. Breathe, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, well, that is fabulous. Have enjoyed that so much. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know if we'll be able to sleep now. We're all yeah. sort of.
3: <laughs> Why oh, no. I know, I, I, I'm all Excited. about it, like, I, but then I'm like, you guys are going
2: to go to bed now.
4: <laughs> so I'll still yeah. go to meal we'll to eat. I'll still got a meal to eat. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not eating. <laughs>
2: uh, well <laughs> that's, that's where your breathing comes in, right? Get yeah. yourself back down into yeah. that zen state.
0: we will go and meditate with the dog.
3: Yeah, if I if I eat that last meal it'll i am not sleeping till late, so <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. that'll be pushed to tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. You
2: no, know I talked to a client about that yesterday for like an hour, so yeah. You're ahead of some of the people I work with on that one where they just try to push it, push it, push it. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, sleep, is, sleep is mean or king. It, it, we need that. And yep. If we don't have that, we break down faster than anything. Yeah, you know, truth Sleep true. is life.
0: Well, thank you again so much, Victoria. And you are I most hope welcome, yeah, your thank writing you. goes well. Um, thank you. We will be sending thank positive you. vibes to your thank PhD. You. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, will be, it will be done
2: soon enough. So it's, you know, the, the hard work is done and now it's just the writing and, yeah. and ultimately this is the type of stuff that gets me motivated to sit down mm-hmm. and write because yeah. I know the, 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 sooner I finish writing, the sooner I get to go back to doing
0: yeah. more of this. Exactly. So, well,
3: good. Thank you so
1: much.
0: Thank you again. You guys are welcome. And
1: good well, luck.
0: Thank you.